Good evening, wrestling fans, and welcome to another edition on Archie's Cooking. As always, I am your host, Archie Mitchell, flying solo once again tonight here in the studio. And tonight, we are once again talking about none other than NXT and AEW. I want to thank you guys for once again uh, joining me uh, for sharing in my um, hate my love, and the venom that I spew about professional wrestling. Although I've tried to be very kind in this new year of 2022, um, I don't know that uh, NXT is going to allow me to do it uh, this week. Um, We're going to talk about that in detail uh, during the NXT review and in what grinds my gears, because it's not just NXT, as it would seem, as it is the WWE in a hole in what's been going on. So, go ahead and pop open your favorite frosty beverage. And get ready. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for some quick hits. Starting us off this week with our first quick hit is some news where we don't really get news from ordinarily. Because Raven has made his return to professional wrestling, but in the NWA. That's right, you heard me. The man known as Raven, formerly Scotty Flamingo, Johnny Polo, Johnny Body, has made his return to professional wrestling in the NWA, he did it on a episode of the NWA's new show, NWA USA, which is a Saturday morning show. And he got in the face of former NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Tim Storm. Why? Well, it seems that Tim Storm is the uh, general manager or commissioner of said show. And Raven would like to know how Tim Storm got the job and not Raven. And <laughs> I think my favorite part of the whole segment was Tim looking directly at Raven and saying, because nobody knew where you were. Nobody knows who you are. But if you'd like, let's step step off camera and talk about this like men instead of burdening the whole show with this. And Raven just looked back at him and goes, what about me? What about Raven? It was like such a contra- conflict of interest and styles of the gentleman that is Tim Storm and the Bowery badass that is Raven. I can't wait to see where they go with this storyline. The NWA continues to have traction, and I think bringing Raven in, no matter what capacity, whether it's as a wrestler or just an on-air talent, is going to help them in a very big way. Scott Levy has a tremendous mind for wrestling, and I'm sure that he can help the booking and writing committee out in a very big way. Number two, The WWE has renamed Walter, and he is now going by Gunther. Now, I could have waited till the ending of the NXT review to talk about this, because that's when it happened, was on NXT this week. But I have, I'm a little disgruntled about this. Now, Nate Maxson has said, it doesn't matter what his name is, he's still going to be the same character. Other wrestling fans have said, what does it matter? It's a name change. Guys like Mick Foley went through name changes like... Mankind, Shawn Michaels, obviously got a whole other name other than what he was known as in his real name. 
you know what I mean? Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin was the ringmaster and everything like that. It just, I understand that. But Walter said in an re- interview a year and a half ago that the reason he did not want to come to the United States full-time, work NXT, and possibly join the main roster was because he had a fear that they would change his name, change his style, and he would get too comfortable here and then he could possibly be released. Now, I understand by reports that Walter asked for the name change um, because he did not want them to take the name Walter away from him if he did leave the WWE or was released. But the WWE has been releasing people left and right. We've This is the longest amount of time we've had in between releases this last two weeks. So I would hate to see Walter go through all of this, then possibly give him a run with the NXT title, and then, uh-oh, he's on the cutting room floor. I like Walter. I think he is a very tremendous wrestling talent with a dangerous strike with that open-hand chop, and I would love to see him on the main roster going at it with the likes of Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, uh, and everybody else. I'd like to see what he can do out of Seth Rollins with those chops. <laughs> but uh, in any case, Walter will now be known as Gunther from here on out with Imperium. And um, to me, it's just a big mistake. And they're about to make many more mistakes with this young man and hurt his career in a very big way. Third, Mustafa Ali asked for his release from the WWE, and it was denied. Uh, Mustafa Ali is an incredible talent. Uh, Standout in the cruiserweight division, in the cruiserweight classics of the past. And did a fantastic job with whatever the WWE threw at him. That whole hacker gimmick and putting him with Mace and T-Bar and... And all that other BS was, was absolute and utter crap on a cracker. But he made it work. And then they took it all away from him. He asked her some time off to go ahead and be with his wife while she uh, gave birth to their child. God bless their new child that has arrived in this world. He now has a family. And this man felt that the WWE was not using him correctly anymore. Now... The problem I have about this is that Mustafa Ali has busted his ass for WWE for the last five years, if not longer. And they've been, again, relieving people from their duties, releasing them like crazy every couple of days, every couple of weeks. We have seen names we never thought would get released, and there they are. William Regal, Road Dogg. On the wrestler side of things, the Fiend Bray Wyatt, Braun Strowman, the list goes on and on with the number of wrestlers that got released. And now, this young man who you've wasted comes to you and says, I'd like my release. I have a new family. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I can't spread the message that I want in the ring because you're only letting me wrestle for five minutes a week. And at that, it's constantly me being, it's me being mad about my race and, and, and me being mad about the United States, not about it being about my wrestling ability. And you tell him no. He is the one you're going to keep out of all other stars. You did the same thing to Rey Mysterio. You did the same thing to Luke Harper. 
the WWE is basically a prison these days in that they do what they want, when they want it, take people out whenever they feel like it, and hold others hostage when they shouldn't. I hope that Mustafa Ali gets the release that he does deserve. And if not, then I hope one of two things happen here. I hope that they finally give this kid a chance to shine and that they push him the way he deserves to be pushed. Now, I'm not saying that he deserves to be the World Heavyweight Champion tomorrow. But an Intercontinental in the United States, an NXT title run somewhere down the line would be great and allow him to show off his ability. If that doesn't happen, then Vince, let him stay home. Let him collect a paycheck and be with his family. And then when he's finally done with all this time that you say he has left on his contract, let him go. Because anything else that you do with this guy would be a total and utter smack in the face for the loyalty that he's given you guys for the last five years. And finally, Cody Rhodes is currently a free agent and working for AEW without a contract. Now, <laughs> if this were anybody else on the roster, not named Cody Rhodes, Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, Chris Jericho, or the Young Bucks, I'd be like, shit, how are they going to retain that talent and allow them to sit there and work on a handshake deal? What happens if they sign somewhere else? What if WWE gets their hooks in them? You know, I'd be worried. Cody Rhodes is one of the vice presidents in AEW. So technically, he's under contract. He's just not under a wrestler's contract right now. Furthermore, Cody Rhodes has condemned the WWE to the high heavens for the last uh, four and a half years. Uh, I don't think that he's going to go ahead and step back in a company that made him stardust and did not allow him to have a match with his brother Goldust at WrestleMania. And that was the only goddamn thing the guy was asking for. I believe that Cody and AEW will work out a contract. And I think the reason that nothing has been worked out yet is because, in my opinion, Cody unselfishly does not want Tony Khan to have money wrapped up in Cody's contract and is allowing him free time to get other money together to give to other wrestlers and get the other wrestlers under contract that they need to before he and Cody lock down an agreement for himself. As I said, Cody Rhodes is a vice president in AEW, so whether he is under contract to wrestle or not, he is still under contract with that company. So that's going to do it for quick hits here. And we're going to go ahead and go into NXT 2.0 and my review on this show. Um, you know... I saw a great deal of um, wrestling ability at NXT New Year's Evil in the following week on NXT 2.0. The last week on NXT 2.0 as well. Even Grayson Waller was showing me something. And then you guys went ahead and you screwed the pooch again. There were a total of... I don't even want to count it here, but I will. I'll, I'll get into uh, exact amount of, of matches uh, when we're all said and done with this part of the review. There was 48 minutes of wrestling on NXT this week, and that was because of the number of matches, not because of how great the matches were. Show starts out with Ellie Knight kicking off NXT this week. He's looking for Grayson Waller. 
Waller doesn't show up, and it runs down all of the history that these two have had. Waller now out, and he is re- has a restraining order against LA Knight. Jesus, the bad booking continues. WWE fired a bunch of great wrestlers so we could get this. Well, maybe Dexter Loomis can help save this trash because it's going to be Dexter Loomis versus Grayson Waller opening match. Good opener between these two, which saw a nice mix of styles. Loomis used power and innovative offense like a sky-high uppercut and a reverse leg drop. Waller used speed and his obnoxious ego on his end. In the end, though, one of Jinder Mahal's former bodyguards attacked Dexter Loomis, allowing Waller to hit his finishing stunner and get the win in 13 minutes. Now, I'm not sure where they're going to go with this whole uh, new bodyguard for Grayson Waller, but um, I guess it's something uh, because he's writing a lot of uh, checks with his mouth that with his mouth that his ass can't catch cash. Um, he's writing a lot of uh, checks with his mouth that his ass can't cash. So uh, basically having a heavy someone in there to beat down on whoever he's facing, it, it can add to the character. We then see an altercation between Roderick Strong and Walter from this past weekend, and that will lead us to our main event later on tonight. Yes, please. Walter versus Roderick Strong. Sounds like a fantastic main event. Uh, we then get highlight packages from the Dusty Classic, uh, the Dusty Cup, and all of the tag teams involved. And I enjoyed this because we didn't get this in years past. We just pretty much had to wait till the match started before we knew who was in the Dusty Classic. Uh, Legato del Fantasma walks up on MSK and pokes fun at them, and we go to head to the ring for our opening match, and it's the Creed Brothers taking on Briggs and Jensen. Two horse tag teams going at it in this one. Jensen tried to gain, gain the upper hand, but Julius kept control. Briggs came in and got in a huge choke slam, but Brutus broke it up. Julius drove Jensen into the guardrail. The Creeds then hit a wicked-looking double-team move and get the win in seven minutes. Now, I enjoyed this a lot, but it was kind of quick. If you blink, the ending happened. I think they should have been given at least 15 minutes here. It's a Dusty Cup match, but in any indication, the Creed brothers are moving on. Briggs and Jensen are not, and I like both teams. So either or would have done just fine by me. We then hear from Dante Chen, who made his big splash on his debut four months ago, but then has been sidelined with a leg injury. He says tonight is his return, and he's making going to make his father proud. Walter pumps up Imperium backstage and says this year will be the year that they dominate NXT like they did in the UK. So here we go with Dante Chen's in-ring return. He's taking on Guru Raja. Chen and Raja had a good three minutes of action, and Chen showed off his high-flying ability, but then Duke Hudson attacked both men and caused the match to be thrown out. What the fuck? Bad booking again, and all of this to reintroduce Duke Hudson, who really wasn't that over to begin with. Um, The only reason the fans are booing is because you just cut out a match that they were enjoying. Jesus, WWE. Backstage, Joe Gacy explained to Harlan that his actions caused them to be into the Dusty Cup last week, and he's not angry with Harlan, just upset that they would not win the Cup. Odyssey Joan interjects and makes a joke. Gacy allows him to walk away, and we then move on to backstage with Bron, Bron Breaker. Bron Breaker says he's ready, and he knows that everyone is gunning for him. Electra Lopez walks up. And she's followed by 
Santos Exelar. <laughs> Alexa, go to sleep. My Alexa is going off um, because I said the name of Miss Lopez, and I guess she thought I was talking to her. No biggie. We'll continue on. Santos Escobar walks up and says he doubts Braun can carry the uh, company, but he knows that he can, and he says they'll meet on Santos's time. Inside the ring, Tony D'Angelo is doing a mock funeral for Pete Dunne. Tony D is acting very annoying. The fans are booing, and this was all done so he can challenge for the North American title. <coughs> Carmelo Hayes pops up and says Tony D needs to keep his title out of his mouth, and they both get interrupted by Cameron Grimes, who was the person I thought would be actually challenging for the title. But no, it's not WWE's way. Um, apparently, Grimes will now face D'Angelo next week, and the winner will face Carmelo Hayes for the title. That's fine. I just hope it's Grimes that wins. Uh, this was just okay, but it was kind of long and drawn out. I mean, there was 15 minutes given to this segment, all for us to get two minutes of Cameron Grimes and 10 minutes of Tony D'Angelo. Carter and Catarzano want to comfort Briggs and Jensen after their loss tonight. When the show shows up, it makes it awkward, and we go to commercial. <laughs> Backstage now, and apparently WWE has hired two Brazilian jiu-jitsu artists to try and replace Tay Conte, who's now in AEW. Uh, neither can speak English, and Dakota Kai is having a blast making fun of them. Kaylee Ray takes on Ivy Nile, and this match lasted all of four minutes. They traded some shots. Ray went for her finisher. Nile changed it into a um, roll-up. Got the win in four minutes. Too quick, considering how good both of these women are, in my opinion. You can't have a four-minute lightning-in-a-bottle match when you have two contenders to the women's title. Post-match, Toxic Attraction hit the ring and beat down Kylie Ray. But then Hartwell and Parada hurried down and made the save. I guess we'll see a six-woman tag next week. Again, we're backstage, and Harlan just murdered Odyssey Jones from his earlier interruption. The camera pans, and we see Joe Gacy smiling like a madman. Jesus, this guy gets creepier every week. They apparently turned Soraya into Harry Potter, and she'll be making her way back to NXT. What the fuck is going on? With these new character ideas, I just don't get them. It makes no sense. I'm they're just uh, you got a sleeping girl, now you got a Harry Potter. Uh, it, it's ridiculous. Legato del Fantasma now take on uh Blade and uh for for now. Oh, hold on, my notes are freaking out here. One second, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Legato del Fantasma takes on Blade and N4. Both teams showed up, showed their speed and agility, and they moved at 100 miles an hour. Legato had the match going their way, but Braun Breaker showed up, took out Santos Escobar, which caused a distraction. Blade got the roll up on Wild and gets the win in four minutes. Again, <coughs> this is a Dusty Classic matchup, a Dusty Cup match. You want the fans invested, but instead you're giving them guys in this tournament that they have nothing invested in, and you're making it four-minute matches. Um, I can't see this tournament being all that great this year. And whoever wins it, if they end up becoming the NXT Tag Team Champion, it's strictly because they want to move the belts off of Imperium and not keep them on the current champions. Uh, Malcolm Bivens then says Roger Strong is ready for Walter. We also hear from Sokoa as he shows off the scars after Boa burned him last week backstage. 
Sokoa says next week he will get his revenge. Dakota Kai then takes on Ulysia Leon, who is one of those Brazilian jiu-jitsu girls. Uh, so Kai got her match with one of the Brazilian fighters, and she's still laughing. Uh, this was simply one-sided match with Dakota showing off her psychotic side. Ke uh, Dakota Kai hits her finisher, and the match is over in three minutes. Uh, then we go to Raquel Gonzalez backstage. Uh, says she's not making excuses, and she's still coming for Mandy Rose. Cora Jade walks up and offers uh, Gonzalez a chance to team with her in the women's side of the tag team tournament that's going on. Uh, and Raquel says no one walks off. And now we go to our main event. Uh, believe me, as I'm explaining this to you guys, this is the way it's going down if you didn't watch NXT. But if you did watch NXT and you're still listening to me, you understand this is exactly how the show went down. Walter versus Roger Strong. This was a hard-hitting match, and neither man gave an inch. Walter threw Strong around the entire ring and used that nasty-looking chop to take Roddy down more than once. Strong hit his single-boot dropkick and a great-looking superflex, but Walter wouldn't stay down. Walter hit a powerbomb and, at the 14-minute mark, got the win in an absolutely incredible main event. Now, before we get into the rest of the show, let's see something here. One, two, three four four five six seven matches made up for 48 minutes of in-ring action now if you kind of take away the main event and the uh opening match being 14 minutes and 17 minutes that was the 31 minutes right there but if you break that down that's like six and a half minutes a match um, that's not very good. Not for a show that you have some great talent on. Uh, they could have taken away a lot of the talking and backstage uh, skits and gotten straight to the matches, in my opinion, sort of the way AEW does it, and uh, we could have gotten a lot of better wrestling action. Uh, in any indication, post-match, Walter will now be going by Gunther, as I talked about earlier. Imperium came in and beat down Strong. Diamond Mine ran in to make the save, and the show ends with a brutal brawl between those uh, two factions. I'm giving NXT a 2.5 out of 5. Good, good opening match and great main event. Everything else was bad in the begin in the middle of the show. Bad booking continues, and I'm not happy with this. I've said this before. I only look at NXT because I, I, I did enjoy it when I first started, but now... As time goes on, I'm looking at NXT as a burden because you're making me watch crap. You're making me watch crap so I can see a good opener and a great main event. Uh, please give me something in the middle next week. The card looks pretty damn decent with Tony D'Angelo and Cameron Grimes, the six-woman tag that I mentioned, the rest of the Dusty Cup. Give me a great card. Give me eight to ten-minute matches if not longer, on the Dusty Cup or the matches that matter the most. Give me solid storytelling. Don't show me Wendy Cho sleeping on top of the locker. Don't show me Soraya turning into Harry Potter. For the love of God, don't show me Tony D'Angelo doing a mock funeral for Pete Dunne, who's probably going to make a return next week so that you can do it all to get him a title shot. If you want to give him a title shot, he's earned it. Let him have it. Moving on to AEW Dynamite, we're kicking off the show with the return of John Moxley. It's been three months, and we know 
we what Moxley has been getting some help in rehab for his alcohol abuse. Uh, so it's going to be good to hear what Mox has to say. He looks better, he sounds clearer, and he is focused. Not going to tell you everything the guy said, but this man gave a heartfelt, badass promo. Go out of your way to see it if you didn't. The bits where he talked about grabbing wrestling by the balls and doing what he wants with it, not running from demons but kicking their ass. It's what you want to hear from somebody who's been battling alcohol abuse. You want to hear that they're going to stand up and fight uh, for everything that they've done to get to the back to this point and and possibly get a reprieve from all the bad things that have happened. Uh, I wish Mox nothing but the best, and I, I hope that we see him in the ring soon. We then go to backstage where MJJF talks about the match between Wardlow and CM Punk. He apologizes to Wardlow for getting involved, but he is also going to dock the pay of Wardlow for putting his hands on Max last week. Wardlow doesn't look happy. Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander take on Adam Cole and Britt Baker. The opening of this match was a lot of fun. We saw Cassidy's three kicks to Britt and a boop from Statlander as well. <coughs> then it kicked into high gear and we got a back and forth match. No one got the upper hand. They were move for move. Baker and Cole hit the Panama Sunrise on both their opponents, but Cassidy kicked out inside the ring. Cassidy accidentally hit Baker and threw her through the table. So Cole hit a low blow and the boom kick to the back of the head, picking up the win in an 18-minute match, which was very good. Very good opening here from, from AEW, in my opinion. Um, much deserving to see Statlander and Cassidy and Cole and Baker put on a great opening match. Backstage, Chris Jericho is about to go off on into Kingston, but Santana and Ortiz stop him. They say it's time for them to worry about themselves and less about Jericho. Adam Cole is backstage. He's pissed at what about happened to Britt Baker going through the table. And he challenges Orange Cassidy to a match next week. It will be Cole and Cassidy in a lights-out match. Yes, please. The last time we had a last uh, lights-out match was Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker. I think it's long overdue. We then get a nice highlight package for Punk versus Spears, which is coming up next. Punk and Spears. Ready to go out at one-on-one. -on -one. MJF came out before the match could start. And we he goes to the commentary table. The bell ringed. Bell rang. Excuse me. Uh, <coughs> the bell rang. Sean Spears charged in. Punk ducked and hit the GTS to get the win in 25 seconds. <coughs> That's right. This match lasted 25 seconds. And wow, what a squash match. All that we saw and heard from uh, Sean Spears leading into this match to go 25 seconds. Post-match, MJF hit the ring. Punk grabbed him by the scarf, but Max ran off before Punk could lay in a shot. I feel bad for Sean Spears, but he signed up for this. And I'm look, I, I just condemned NXT for doing this microwave matches, four minutes, whatever. AEW 25-second match. I understand we're trying to continue the ongoing uh, MJF and CM Punk storyline, but you just killed one of your talents so that you could further the storyline and get Punk over, which he doesn't need to be put over anymore. Billy Gunn catches Christian outside, walking into the arena, and he says that he wants his sons, who are in the top five contenders, to get a shot at Jurassic Express for the World Tag Team titles. Christian says he to have them make a statement, and he'll think about it. Uh, the Gun Club then attack. And Billy and his boys beat down Christian. Statement made. 
says Colton Gunn. Cody Rhodes then makes his way to the ring, and he's setting up a ladder. I told you so. But then Cody cuts the best promo, if not the best promo we've heard in quite a while. Um, he mentions uh, the renaming of Walter, the Forbidden Door, and his free agent status. He talks about how the fans want him to turn heel, and he won't do it because the fans have been there and cheered for him uh, when he needed them the most. He talks about the things that he's seen going on in, in, in AEW over the last couple of weeks since he was gone. And then he mentions Sammy Guevara. So Cody lays out the challenge for next week at Beach Bash, which is happening in Cleveland, Ohio. Why, I don't know. And it'll be Cody Rhodes and Sammy Guevara, if he accepts, for the TNT title in a ladder match. I'm not going to condemn anybody. I'm, again, I know I said I told you so. I was partly joking. AEW, show me something. Show me a badass ladder match like never before seen, and I'll believe. The House of Black then take on the Varsity Blondes. The Blondes couldn't get anything going. Black used his speed and kicks to take on Garrison. King then used pure strength, and in came Pillman. Pillman looked scared but tried to fight. King and Black took out both Blondes and had a crazy-looking double-team move on Pillman to get the win in four minutes. Now, this team is going to be huge. Black and King, I like it. I will not condemn them for the four-minute match here. <laughs> the Blondes don't win that much. And they have been in an ongoing feud with Al uh, Malachi Black for the last few weeks. This needed to be a squash to get Brody King over. So, well done. Post-match, though, the screen lights up, and Pac sends a message to Black and says he now sees everything he needs to see and is coming for his revenge. Now, I cannot wait to see what we're about to see between Pac and Malachi Black. As we know, Pac has the uh, death triangle with him. Black, of course, has Brody King, and God knows who else is going to join him down the line. But in any indication, this could make for a really damn good feud. We then see a highlight package for Adam Page and Lance Archer from last week. Both men say they are ready for a fight. We then hear from Trent and Rocky Romero. And they challenge the Young Bucks to a match on Rampage this Friday night. I'd like to see that. Both those teams have had great matches in the past. Lance Archer then takes on Frankie Kazarian. This was mostly Archer with suplexes and slams all around the ring. Kazarian tried to make a comeback multiple times, but the Murder Hulk wouldn't allow it. For 10 minutes, Archer beat down on Kaz and then finally put him away with the blackout. Good way to get Archer over here, in my opinion. Post-match, Dan Lambert talks down to Adam Page, and Archer said it's time to show everyone what he's going to do. He was about to choke slam Kaz on the outside on a chair, but Adam Page interrupts and gets in Archer's face. They try to raid hands, but Archer gets the upper hand. Page uses his boot and takes the big man down. That was some good cowboy shit, in my opinion. <laughs> Dante Martin, Martin shows off that he's got backup backstage, but Ricky Starks and Hobbs says that it seems like Dante's got brothers everywhere. He should have just stuck with Team Taz, and that they are coming for him, whether he likes it or not. Also backstage, Layla Hirsch lays an attack down on Chris Statlander and Red Velvet. I guess their friendship is over. I have to say this, though. 
except for Chris Statlander. I could give two craps about Red Velvet and Layla Hirsch. They are black and uh, they are uh, AEW Elevation dark and black and a and um, they are AEW Elevation dark stars and Elevation stars. I did not mean black. My apologies. Um, they are they are not. They're both very young in their careers. Neither one really put on that great of matches. And the reason I feel they stuck him for her with stuck them with Chris Statlander is to hopefully get them over. It's not working, so I guess now they got to have a match together. <coughs> Sky Blue then take on took on Serena Deeb. Serena Deeb came to the ring with a deadly attitude and went straight through Sky Blue. Deeb worked over Blue's neck and knee for five minutes, then locked on her submission maneuver and got the win. Now again, I don't believe in these quick matches, but you're trying to put somebody over. Deeb just did this to Sheeta. Now she does it to Blue. Hopefully the following week when she does this, she gets a real opponent and they go a little while longer. Ethan Page then answers the challenge of John Moxley for Rampage this Friday night. So it will be Page taking on Moxley on Friday. Uh, we then find out that Matt Hardy and Andrade have a joint forces and their team name will now be the AHFO. And that, what? Not really, what? The Acclaimed are ready for their main event against Sting and Darby Allen. The Acclaimed started off by putting a chair on the neck of Darby Allen and slamming him into the ring post. Allen is out for the rest of the match. Sting did his best to keep Bowens and Car uh, Caster at bay, but the Acclaimed fought back and gained control. They looked to put Sting away with the ring steps, but Darby Allen made a huge save, and we saw a lot of great interaction. Sting with the dive off the stage onto Bowens, who was on the table. Allen hit the coffin drop and got the win in 14 minutes. Very good episode of AEW Dynamite. Very good main event as well. A lot of good stuff in between. And for all of you that are axing, AEW Dynamite had one hour worth of wrestling on their two-hour wrestling show. Um, so, a little bit different. 43 minutes, an hour. Quality matches versus, uh, you know, just a bunch of stuff thrown together. That's why Dynamite leads out with a four out of five this week. Very good show. Not perfect, but a very good show. <clears throat> and finally, we come to AEW Rampage. And it is opened with a match, my favorite, as John Moxley takes on Ethan Page. Ethan Page stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with Mox, and both guys teed off on one another in the early going. Strike for strike and move for move, Page and Mox would not let up. But Moxie did look slow, uh, tired, and I was able to see him talking to Page throughout the entire match, calling moves throughout everything they were doing. Um, they went to the outside a bunch of times, and Moxley finally locked on the Bulldog headlock, got the win at the 11-minute mark. A uh, decent match, could have been better. I'm hoping this is just ring rust on Moxley and not him totally changing his style or maybe, you know, doing things differently because he's a little worried now because he's, you know, of level head. But whatever the indication is, I hope this is just the first of many return matches for Moxley where he can continue to build up and get back into the swing of things. Post-match, Mox hits a double on DDT on Page. 
for good measure and walked through the crowd. Brian Danielson approached him and leaves me wondering what's about to happen next. Danielson and Moxley, huh? Okay, let's see. Trent Beretta then take on would take on Nick Jackson uh, next, and this was supposed to be Trent and Rocky Romero taking on the Young Bucks, but Rocky Romero apparently contracted COVID uh, between Wednesday night into Friday morning, so the match was changed. Early going, Trent used his side and strength, but uh, Jackson fought back and targeted the neck of Trent. Jackson with the double axe handle, but Trent made his comeback, and both men exchanged German suplexes. Canadian Destroyer by Nick only got a two-count. Jackson again uh, would work over Trent Beretta and do everything that he could to keep the big man down, including every super kick and lower-ended kick in his repertoire. He then hit a senton bomb on the outside and a 450 on the inside, but again can only get a two-count. Trent finally reversed a super kick and hit strong zero out of nowhere, getting the win at the 17-minute mark, and what a match between those two. They have had great matches throughout their entire career. This one definitely needs to be added to the record books. We then got Hook taken on Serpentico, and Hook once again had the fans exploding for him as he entered the arena. This young man comes to the ring and steamrolls his opponent. Arm drag, hip tossed, head and arm suplex, and then the red rum. Hook gets the win in four minutes. This kid is going places. I can't say enough about him. His aura, his facial expressions, the way he wrestles. He's nothing like his father. Taz was ominous looking because of his size and the way that he wrestled. Hook looks like a young kid who could be hanging out at a record store, and then all of a sudden he just explodes. More power to him. Keep it going, kid. Post-match, QT Marshall tries to interject, but Hook hits him with a Northern Light suplex and walks off. Mark Henry then does his split-screen interview with Jade and uh, Anna Jay. Anna seemed a little forced in her words, and like she was just trying to convince herself of being a badass more so than convincing the fans. Jade, however, was pretty damn good in her, her way of doing her promo, and it's now time for our main event. We have Jade Cargill defending the TBS women's title against Anna Jay. In my opinion, both women sold the show. Uh, Jade hit her best ma- had her best match here tonight against Anna Jay. Uh, showing off her quickness and power. Anna Jay almost got the win on three different occasions and locked in the Queen Slayer uh, more than once. Jade finally got Anna to make a mistake, hit a reversal and landed a powerbomb, and then hit one glam slam and it was over. Jade gets the win in 10 minutes and retains her title. Really good women's match here to end a really good show. And I am giving AEW Rampage a 4.5 out of 5. In my opinion, the only thing that bothered me was seeing the ring rest on Moxley. Everything else was perfect, and it was the best show of the week. So I'm not going to say anything differently other than good on by AEW. I'm going to keep this last part quick. And what I'm going to say here 
is that what seems to be grinding my gears lately is microwaved wrestling matches as a whole. I watched Monday Night Raw this week as well as uh, Friday Night SmackDown. Each show had several three-minute matches on them. And when I say several, I mean four to five three-minute matches on them. They had a decent opening match that went about 10 minutes and then about a 15 to 20-minute main event. That is not a wrestling show. That is you throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. With the Royal Rumble coming up and you have depleted your roster by firing so many people from both the main roster and NXT, you would think you would want to showcase the talent that you have. But instead, you decided to go ahead and give us microwave matches between the likes of Kevin Owens, the E, um, Kofi Kingston, and um, whoever that guy is with Baron Corbin, uh, what, what's the Madcap Moss, um, you know, on Raw, Bobby Lashley and Seth Rollins saved that damn show. But let's face it, Bobby Lashley is not supposed to be anywhere near Seth Rollins. He should be having a fight with Brock Lesnar. The WWE is sinking by inches. And what I mean by that is they may be a multi-billion dollar company. They may be going ahead and doing things that no one else is doing. They've got TV, you know, TV deals in Dubai and TV deals in the United Kingdom and TV deals all over the world. That doesn't mean a damn thing if your show's ratings are in the toilet. It doesn't mean a damn thing if you're giving us a three-hour wrestling show with 45 minutes worth of wrestling on it. It certainly doesn't mean a damn thing if you're giving us a two-hour wrestling show with 30 minutes on it. I understand it's sports entertainment. I understand it's Vince's way. But Vince's way has not worked in a very long time. Maybe it's time to change that. That's just one man's opinion, though. Let me know yours. If you're a member of If You Smell With The Arches Cooking Facebook page, leave a comment. Or leave a comment on the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Once you've listened to this podcast this week and where it's posted, leave a comment. Let me let me know what you think. Am I overreacting? Is the WWE going to be okay? Is Am I seeing things for what they aren't? Or is the WWE in the garbage can? Because for me... It's not entertaining anymore. And I'm not saying, oh, I won't watch or I won't order or I won't do. But I won't talk about it. I won't even let it come out of my mouth anymore or in my brain to think about it or write about it or do a show about it. Because if the likes of the NWA, MLW, Impact, and AEW are putting on better shows, then I'll go ahead and talk about them. But that's neither here nor there right now. I guess we have to see what comes up during the Royal Rumble and what we got going down next week. Uh, This coming Sunday, not this Sunday, right now, following Sunday is the Royal Rumble. I will do a normal episode next week of If You Smell What The Arch Is Cooking. And then 
excuse me. And then the following week, I will go ahead and do a Royal Rumble recap show, letting you know everything that's going down. So please don't hesitate to join me. Continue to watch and listen to all the great shows on the on the We Can't Wrestle and WrestleMan Radio Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me. Have a great night, and I will see you next time on If You Smell. The arch is cooking.